Happy Friday. It's a good day. Oh, can I just say how much I love our community that we can talk, we can engage, we can ask questions, we can give pushback. And I've been loving the questions and feedback uh, to the uh, things I did yesterday about healing and demons. And uh, really, really, really um, so honored by uh, y'all's uh, vulnerability and willingness to engage and ask questions. And so thank you. Um, wow. Uh, I just, let's not stop. Let's not stop. Um, Jesus is the answer. Come on. But there are a lot of other little answers that we've gotten through the years that, quite honestly, regularly, we need to start asking questions of the answers we've already got. Um, because so many of our answers have been built out of just experience. Like, you know, you have an experience, you make a assumption about what that experience means. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but anywho. Uh, one of the questions I got from yesterday was about whether a Christian can have a demon or not. And the root of this question, why this is even a question, goes back to um, a, a an understanding of demons that uh, most Christians, especially in the 70s, 80s, 90s, really kind of developed. And it's very common in ancient Judaism. Uh, but they, it comes from two different sources. One is Judaism, ancient Judaism. Another is from uh, Satanism, actually. And so um, ancient Judaism had this idea of God as completely separate out there. So the in-between space they, was very well populated by angels and demons. And so it was kind of this equal battle of angels or demons. And uh, so a lot of times, you know, what they would do is uh, if they were doing an exorcism, they would try to... Uh, bring good spirits uh, or angels to help them. And it was kind of this, you know, it was a battle. Uh, and uh, kind of like uh, um, comic books, you know, with uh, demons, I mean, uh, supervillains and, and superheroes. But um, another view that really is prevalent, and a lot of people don't really understand this, is comes from in the uh, 70s with like Charles Manson, people became very impressed with Satanism and very curious about demons. And into this place, a guy by the name of Mark Warnke came and he claimed to have been a former satanic high priest who had gotten saved. And he provided all the news, the back behind the scenes of the powerful spirit wars that were happening and of demons and all this kind of stuff. And everybody ate it up. Unfortunately, as was revealed in 1995, as Cornerstone Magazine uh, dug into it and found out, he had made the whole thing up. But along the way, what was developed was this idea of a very powerful devil, a very powerful uh, demon. And so the idea is, from this comes this idea of spirit possession, that the demon possesses you, takes total control of you, your identity and your person, and you cease to exist. That's kind of the picture of demon possession. So the idea is, if I've given my life to Christ, how can I then have a demon? Okay. Do you see that? Yeah, okay, what's wrong with this picture? We talked a little bit about this yesterday with the man of the Gadarenes, who, though he have a thousand or a legion of demons, guess what? He can drag his demons to Jesus. Wow, 
what? So, so you see, it's not that version. Now, that's not to say that there are people experiencing uh, extreme amounts of, and, and that's why I like to use the word demonization. I, I mean, from the word demonizai, I can never say it. Um, in the Greek, that's the word that's used because um, it's not possession. You've been bought with a price. You belong to him, right? So it's not that. And so it's not an equal battle. It's not God versus the devil. The devil's a defeated foe, you know? And so we, it's not, it's not 50-50. It's not either or. God is God. It's, um, the devil is not the anti-God. He is this. He is nothing. He is nothing, but he is attempting to gain access to humanity through lies, just like he did with Eve in the garden, trying to get them to doubt God and give the devil their authority. But you, again, you and I have been bought with a price. So what is happening with demonization? What's going on? Uh, this is the best way, I think, kind of to describe it is, okay, you got Bob, and by the way, you should know by now, I'm not a good drawer of people. Bob apparently is a, uh, a strange gingerbread-looking person, right? Here's Bob. But Bob gets a cut on his knee. Now, if Bob, going through this little minor trauma of getting a cut on his knee, doesn't clean out that wound, what can happen? Dirt can get in there things that are not Bob, things that are not what God intended for Bob. And what can happen is it can cause an infection, right? So suddenly it's not just a cut, but the whole area becomes infected, becomes puffy. Now, say Bob still doesn't deal with the results of this puffiness, right? Instead, he just keeps going on his merry way and tries to keep from hitting that sore spot, right? He protects it rather than actually deals with it. What's gonna happen is the infection is gonna spread. Now, worst case scenario, it might enter his bloodstream, right? It, it, might, it might enter his lymph system, might go any number of different ways. And in the end, he might die. Come on, Ryan, he might die. And so it's, here's what's happened is he has a situation, he has a minor trauma. From that trauma, he receives something outside that's not him. And the result is not dealing with it causes him to actually develop worse and worse secondary problems and results. What does that look like? When you and I go through trauma, we we are wired for meaning. We develop, we are wide open to receive meaning. In other words, what does it mean? I'll give you an example. If I am in a car accident out of nowhere, that's terrifying, right? You get hit from behind suddenly. There, what is there? My mind goes, what must I do to be safe? What must I learn here? What makes sense? I am not safe in cars is offered right? The enemy offers me lies. He offers me lies. That's the infection piece. He offers me lies. And if I partner with those lies, I am inviting the enemy's influence into my life. That's the infection. And it, why? Why? What is with that lie? That lie says, I will protect you. If you will embrace fear in this way, I will protect you. Guess what? I'm now giving the enemy full authority in that life. But anybody gone down the road of paranoia and fear, you know 
it's never enough. Well, and uh, you end up, you guys know Howard Hughes' story, right? He was, a, he was a billionaire playboy. He was like Elon Musk uh, with airplanes and he was amazing. And by the end of his life, in attempting to control, create safety, he became so fear-driven, he literally lived butt naked in the top floor, uh, penthouse of a, of a casino that he owned in Las Vegas and with no, with, refused to touch anything and, and like only ate, like he had all power, all this money, but fear drove him to this tiny spot because you can't control it. So inviting a little bit of that lie, bringing, inviting the lie, it give, gives the enemy authority in our life in that area. And this is how the demonic comes to affect us. Now, if you keep going down this road, guess what? He has more and more ability to attack your mind. And again, it's like an infection. He's on you. And it can lead to things like fugue states where you don't know. Like a fugue state is where you are having, you're doing things. You don't even know what you're doing. Why? Because you have completely surrendered at least to, to a series of thought patterns, a series of lies that you've surrendered to the enemy to protect you. And guess what? He'll take over for those moments. But at your worst, at your most demonized, at your most infected, you still have the ability to say yes to Jesus as evidenced by the man of the Gadarenes. Nobody is too far gone. So it's not demon possession. You can't take possession of what Jesus bought. You belong to him. And so the minute you say, Jesus, boom, he's right there on the, on, on, right there. He is there for you. Cry out to him. He's paid a price and his blood will purify you of all things. That's what this is about. And so when you recognize, so the enemy wants you to be impressed with your trauma, wants to be impressed with your brokenness, impressed with his lies, impressed with the results of believing his lies. And God just says, I want you to be impressed with my righteousness, my goodness, my life, because if you'll say yes to me, I will flow in through you and drive out everything that is a lie. I will drive it out. And this is what, this is why one of the most powerful ways that I've seen deliverance to happen is simply to believe the truth. Hey there, Ryan. It's simply to believe the truth, simply to receive the truth. Um, and so what, and when I don't mean truth, like as in recite scripture verses, I mean literally what God is saying about you. You, you know, and, and the truth will go directly against the lie that has invaded the trauma, right? The, the lie might be, like I said, if you're in a car accident, that I am unsafe, that I am unprotected, that I am, I, I must look out for myself. No, 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 no. The truth is God is my protection. In fact, in that situation, I should have died, but he was there to protect me, right? Those, do you see it like receiving the truth God speaks? This is how the prophetic works really powerfully with deliverance because as I begin to speak God's truth, people can grab hold of that truth, boom, lies get broken and the enemy loses access in that moment to torment you because you have the, you <laughs> will receive the truth and the truth will set you free, right? The truth, he is truth. Jesus, what he has accomplished on the cross, setting you free. And so the demonic um, loses that authority and that power to be able to torment you. Come on, yes, Ryan. And so 
One of the things that I've seen with a lot of deliverance ministries is they end up reinforcing accidentally uh, that the enemy is is this big bad boogeyman. That, that's been the problem in the first place is that people gave the enemy all that authority, all that power. No, we want to impress them with Jesus. We want to impress them with his righteousness. We want to impress them with what he accomplished on the cross and the love that he has for them and the power he has to deliver them from a life of brokenness and sin. But the other piece of that is, is a recognition that when the enemy comes in, he comes in to fulfill a purpose. Why? He offers something, right? What did he offer Eve? He said, listen, I'll make you like God. So here's the thing. All of us have basic needs. If you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, all of us have these needs core needs that God designed us on purpose with. And those needs he actually designed so that we would, do to, would need two things, each other and him. That we would need, so he created us. We don't like being needy. And so the enemy and needs are usually fulfilled either incrementally or in process. An enemy will offer to meet that need now. And so we talked about this with Eve. Was Eve like God? Yes, small L, right? She was like him, right? She was made in God's image. Enemy says, you're not like him, big L, duh, but I can make you like him, big L, today, right? I'm gonna short circuit the process. I'm gonna meet your need to become like God, right? To, to ju jump that gap. What happens is in that moment, uh, he's meeting a need. You might be, you have a need for safety. The enemy says, I'll protect you. Uh, you might, uh, I remember I, I had an encounter. I was very lonely as a kid. We lived in the country. I had no friends within miles of me. And I remember this moment when uh, literally I had an encounter with a, with a demon uh, and, and it was said, basically it was saying, I'll be your friend. And it was like an imaginary friend and it said, I will be your friend. And I remember, whoa, like in the moment, I felt this creep factor and this desire at the same time. I, we're not made to be alone. It's not good for people to be alone. And so the enemy was offering an opportunity for me to receive, you know, to, to not be alone, right? And pe a lot of people have voices in their head because they don't want to be alone. God is calling the, puts the lonely in families. And so a lot of times what happens is some of us, we have familiar spirits. We have, we have demonic voices in our heads. We have, we have uh, demonic pat, you know, uh, uh, partnerships that we're walking in because it meets basic needs. You know, uh, some, some of us, you know, the way that you keep weight off is by partnering with shame. Every time you go to the refrigerator, there's a voice going, you sick person, what do you think you're doing? And it works for you. And so the, God says, I want to deliver you that, from that. And you're like, no, I don't want that because then I'll get fat. I don't know how I will keep myself from eating if I don't have that. So if I am giving up what the enemy is providing, I'm giving up the lie, I'm giving up this partnership with the enemy. The question, a really good question to ask is, how God can you help me to achieve that, to deal with this? Great example for me. A few years ago, I realized I, I was in a place of anxiety and fear. Uh, great signs that I'm not partnering with God, okay? And it was manifesting in a bleeding ulcer. And I, I realized I can't go on like this and... Um, I, I just cried out to God. 
I mean, I wasn't, I don't think I was sleeping very well or F at all. And so I just said, God, I can't go on like this. What, what do I need to do? And he showed me just in my mind's eye, um, like in the center of my, the garden of my heart, this black, oily, nasty looking tree. And I was like, what is that? And what he showed me is that I had created a partnership with fear. So fear was the main way that I got things done. Stay with me. Um, I used to be super proud of what I called the, uh, the, this adrenaline effect. I could, if need be, if the issue requires it, I could go for days. I mean, I'd just ramp up the adrenaline. I could go for days. And in fact, I, I would enter this hyper-focused state where I could look at things from about 20 different uh, angles, uh, super high-level thinking. I could be super focused. I could get so much accomplished. And since I was a procrastinator, it was essential to me being a good person and getting things done. And God said, but and he showed me, he showed me in my heart. He said, Peter, that right there, you, the way you achieve that is you create a false sense of urgency and fear as a means of motivating yourself in that moment. And it jacks the adrenaline, but it's what it's creating is it's creating high levels of anxiety and then little extra, like the infection going out, where you're partnering with fear in other areas. And, it's, and you're in free fall. And I remember this additional fear entered my heart. But God, if I turn from this, I actually thought it was my superpower. I thought it was my superpower. I was so proud of myself. I could get more done than anybody. And actually, for a while there, in my uh, up to the age of about 30, I never slept more than three or four hours. I was really proud of that fact. What I didn't, again, it was a partnership with the enemy. And... Um, I was like, Lord, but if I give this up, how will I get, get things done? And if I don't get things done, I won't be a good boy. I won't be a good person. I'll be a bad person. And this is how I keep shame at bay is by partnering with fear. And God simply said this. He said, you'll have to do it through my spirit. You'll have to do it by living moment by moment, asking me what there's grace for rather than this thing of fear. And I remember being terrified to give up this demonic partnership. Now, this is a person very, I would like to think I'm relatively mature. I've definitely given my life to the Lord. He's definitely my Lord and my Savior. He's definitely filling my life with good things. He's definitely flowing through me. But here was an area like an infection where the enemy had access to me and it was, and it was out of control. Guess what? As I surrendered that fear, that, 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 that option of going to this adrenaline state of fear, and he set me free. He filled me with joy, he filled me with hope. He just gave me deep-seated peace. And I, wow. But here's the deal. Where the one was an instinct, a reaction, an automatic, do you know walking by the spirit is a choice? It, it required me actually choosing. And a lot of times we, I'm just gonna be real, we want to live a life where other people, we're afraid of our own ability to make bad decisions, so we wanna give our freedom away. We're afraid of our freedom. We're afraid of what we, the bad choices we can make, so we give away our freedom. But God will not take our freedom, but the enemy is more than glad to enslave us. 
And so it's a scary place to live where I, I get to say yes to Jesus moment by moment, day by day. And yet it's the best place of all. It's a place of joy and peace and life. And in fact, this is what Jesus died for, that his power and life might flow through me moment by moment. And as it runs into things in my life that don't look like Jesus, that the blood of Christ would flow through here and drive out all of the sickness and sin and brokenness that's in our bodies and in our minds. That's his best. His best, we want one and done. But instead, what did he invite me? A lifestyle of saying yes to Jesus was his answer. Now, yes, I had immediate reaction. I was, I was within a day or two, I was completely healed of a bleeding ulcer. Within, I mean, my anxiety levels dissipated almost completely. Um, uh, I, but guess what? I still had, I remember about a day into this, I actually had, I was on the verge of a panic attack. And in that moment, I was being tempted to give in fully to fear. I had an opportunity to do what? Say yes to Jesus. And there at a Panera, Jesus saying yes to Jesus felt so weak, but I knew if I let go, I'd slide into a panic attack of fear, right? He set me free. As I said yes to Jesus, he set me free moment by moment by moment. See, the Lordship of Jesus Christ is not a one and done. It's a lifestyle of saying yes to him. I'll say it again. I said this at the beginning, if you didn't catch it. The real issue with this whole idea where people come up with this word demon possession, which is not in the Greek, the word in the Greek is demonization, is this idea that they have a, God, a devil in equal size to our, our, our God. And it is not. There is no battle. God has won. He has won. He has won. He has won. The, that it is not an equal, it is not a fair fight. God has won. And so um, it, what we've got is a better way to think about it is we've got an infection. We've got places that are, uh, we have made agreements with the enemy. There's places, but the final picture I'll leave you with, because I just love it. It's uh, from a book called On a Pale Horse by Piers Anthony. It's probably from the 80s. It's a fantasy book and it, it's not truth, but it gave this great picture. It was this guy went to this casino run by the devil. And um, each level of the casino was better and better as you went deeper and deeper into this casino. But in order to get to each level, you had to sign away a percentage of your soul. And the goal was that by about the ninth or 10th level, you sold all of your soul <clears throat> and you were a complete slave to sin. But this was the interesting thing the author said. He said, but do you know what? It was a total lie because they didn't even have a right to sell their souls. And so the enemy didn't own their souls. The devil wants to make you believe you are possessed, that you lack any choices, that you lack any ability to say no to him. But listen, tag Jesus in. Jesus, they say this, what do you say? Jesus, I am enslaved here, but what do you say? Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. If the man of the Gadarenes with a legion of demons who was so dominated and controlled that he could rip through chains, that he ripped his own body, that he ran around naked and lived among the tombs, that man so tormented could drag his demons to Jesus, you can too. And so I just want to say, if you have been exposed to any demonology or deliverance ministries that have left you with a very big devil, 
I want to tell you, you have a much bigger God. And I want to tell you, he has come that you may have life and have it to the full. Whew. So listen, if you got questions, you got concerns, you got pushback, I'm a big boy, I can handle it. I love it. Some of you guys are messaging me offline. Some of you guys are engaging me other ways. Let's keep the conversation going because the reality is Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. But more than destroy the works of the devil, it was to bring many sons and daughters to glory to bring them to the Father. That's our primary goal. And so wiping away the roadblocks of the enemy where people have partnered, where we have partnered with the enemy, we don't make a big deal out of it. We just wipe it out and we keep trucking so that everyone may walk in the freedom, not just the freedom to be free to do whatever you want like the American dream, but the freedom to say yes to Jesus and to walk in a relationship with him. That's what we're about. So Keep the questions coming. Keep the interaction going. Love you guys. Uh, so grateful. Have an awesome day.